You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. To teach the word of God, to learn God's word together and to hear from him. And one of the things that we want to do as a church is a church that learns to listen to God through His Word. Yeah, We know that God speaks to us in many forms, whether it's through another person or in vision and dreams like what we saw in the book of Daniels. Um, but we, we, know, we know that the primary means in which God speaks to us is through His Word. So we want to be a church that continues to study the Word of God. This morning, we start a new preaching series from Colossians. All right, that's where we will be for the next two months. All right, October, November, we're in Colossians. And you know my prayer for you, right? Is always for us to be what? Reading the Word of God, coming on Sunday, leaning in, hearing what God has to say to us through Scripture. And not only just hear, but we know what the book of James say, to be also doers of the Word of God. And so as God speaks to you, whatever it is you can grab hold of, you're like, I'm going to put that into action. I'm going to live that out this week here. So we are in Colossians. Show of hands, did anyone read Colossians during the week? Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, keep your hands up if you felt that it wasn't that challenging. It wasn't that difficult. Yeah, it's not like the book of Daniel where there's a lot of imageries, right? Apocalyptic literature, pretty full on. This is a letter to God's people. Now, let me give you the context, and we'll dive into the text. The Colossians are a group of first-generation believers, okay? They're very new Christians. They are a group of Christians in the city of Colossae. There's a map behind me. Now, if you look at the map, you notice that Colossae is in modern-day Turkey, and it's situated between two major seaports. There's the seaport of uh, Ephesus, which if you know your Bible, the letter to the Ephesians were Christians based in Ephesus. Right? And in Ephesus, there's a seaport, which means a lot of people would actually come there, do business. On the opposite side of Colossae, there's another seaport, Atalia. So then you have a lot of travelers coming from one seaport to the other, back and forth. And in the middle, you have the city of Colossae. Yeah? And so in the New Testament, when we turn to the letter to the Colossians, it is a letter to the Christians in Colossae. Yeah? Okay. Now, Paul did not plant this church. Paul has never been to this church. All right? And so what happened was that there was a native Colossian by the name of Epaphras. Now, he went to Ephesus, and he found the teaching of the gospel through Paul and Timothy in Ephesus. Now, Paul was in Ephesus for two and a half years, and that was the place where, if you remember, when Paul left Ephesus, he said to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, you stay in Ephesus while I go to Macedonia as I move on. Okay? So, Epaphras moves to Ephesus. He hears the preaching of God's word. He receives Jesus to his life. He's now a follower of Jesus he heads back home to his hometown of Colossae and he begins to share the gospel. And through, I guess, the power of the Holy Spirit, this man here saw people coming to faith. And he's like, what do I do now? I'll plant a church. So he is the founding pastor of the church in Colossae. And now we have all these new believers. They're loving Jesus. Things are going very, very well until some travelers... They come into the church, and they began to say things like, oh, by the way, your pastor, your founding pastor, he's good, but he's not that good. He's actually got to a certain point, but there's more. Like, do you really want to know what Christianity is all about? We have the information. We have full access to the fullness of God. We can show you. And they began to ask these new Christians, have you experienced God in a special way? Unless you experience God in a special way, you're not there yet. But we can show you 
how to experience God in a special way. They began to say things like, do you possess that special gift? Because if you have that gift, then you're really growing in the ways of Jesus. It's okay. If you don't, we can show you how. Or do you have that knowledge of God, that deep, deep knowledge of God? If you don't, it's okay. We will show you how. In other words, what they're saying is that they, they had the secret source of being a mature Christian. And their pastor, Pastor Epaphras, he was good, but he wasn't that good. He got them to a certain limit, and he's lacking just the, the finishing touch. So this guy here, Epaphras, was a bit disturbed. He went looking for who? Paul. The guy that introduced Jesus to him. And he realized that Paul was actually locked away in Rome. So there's Rome at the very, very top. Some 2,000 kilometers away. So he tracks and he goes and finds Paul who's in prison. And he begins to tell Paul, hey, Paul, this is happening. Like all the stuff that you showed me about Jesus and the gospel, is it really true? Am I missing something? Am I lacking something? Because the lights keeps going on and off, right? <laughs> and then, and then, right, Paul goes, inspired the Holy Spirit, he pens this beautiful letter to the Christians in Colossae to actually tell them that, no, don't listen to these so-called teachers. Your pastor is on point. He knows what he's doing. In fact, Colossians, you're doing a good job. You're very, very good. And as we read through this letter, we begin to see Paul's heart for a group of Christians that he's never met. And he begins to tell them what Christian maturity looks like, how they are to come together, work together, grow together for Christ. And so my desire is as we study this letter over the next two months, we grow together in being more like Jesus, to be mature like Jesus. And that's a, like a snapshot of, uh, I guess, Colossians. Now, are you ready? You know, you're, you're like, let's, let's dive into the text now, yeah? Okay. Why don't I pray, and then we'll dive into the text. Father God, I just thank you so much, always for the joy to teach. And I pray right now that as I teach your word, God, you will speak to your people, and we will hear your truth, and that we'll grow in being more like Jesus so, Lord, may we not just hear one ear out the other, but, Lord, it will penetrate to our hearts as we live it off. Bless us. Use me in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Colossians. If you have the church app, open up the church app. Um, everything is on the screen behind me. I'm going to look into verses 1 to 14. Okay? And next week, we're going 15 to the end of the chapter. Now, in the very first part of chapter 1, Paul, he begins to pray for them. He's thanking God for them. It's a prayer from Paul. And what I want to show you is that I want to show you why he was praising and thanking God. So the why of his prayer. And then I'll show you the content, the what of his prayer. Okay, you got that? There are three sub-points for the why Four subpoints for the what. There are seven points today. All right, we're here to two o'clock in the afternoon. Are we good? We're all good, right? Woo, we're all good, right? No, we're not. Okay, so let me show you why these Colossians were so faithful, why they were good in the eyes of Paul. And Paul began to pray to God and thank God for these three reasons. Okay, now look in the verse with me, verses one and two. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in at Colossae, a grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a typical introduction to a letter back then. In those days, when you write a letter, you start with the sender and the recipient. In today's context, when we write a letter, it's usually like to the recipient, dear Matilda Rose, blah, 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 blah. At the very bottom, Love, daddy. Is that right? Because the sender is at the very, very bottom. In those days, everything is at the very, very top. Paul begins to establish his authority. He says, look, I am apostle. In other words, I've seen Jesus, and I'm only doing what I'm doing by the will of God. Not by my will, God's will. All right? And I send my greetings to you. He's establishing his authority. He's telling them that 
Okay, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who's seen Jesus. It's not because I want to do this. It's the will of God. I'm only here by God's will. And now he begins to tell them why he's praying for them. He's thanking God for them. Three things. Here's the first thing. Verses three and four. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. The very first thing that these Christians were doing so well, they had a faith in Jesus. Now the faith here means this, they had a solid conviction that everything that Jesus did for them is true, even though they did not see Jesus. Let me say that again. They had a faith in Jesus, even though they never saw Jesus. Because remember, when they received Jesus, Jesus already left. They really believed with all their heart that Jesus died for their sins. They really believed with all their heart that Jesus rose from the grave. They really believe with all their heart that Jesus ascended, Jesus is interceding, and one day Jesus is coming back for them. They really believe that even though they never seen Jesus. That's a bit like you and I today. We, those here who place your trust in Jesus, you believe that everything Jesus did is true. He really died for you. He rose for you. He's interceding for you, and one of these days, He's coming back for you, even though you've never seen Him. Is that true? If someone ever asked you, you know, why do you believe in a God that you don't see? Here's your answer. is because the Word of God is our authority. Let me teach you this, okay? For the Christians back then, they heard the teaching through apostles, Yeah? And the apostle had an authority that they saw everything and what they said, it was true. Today, we have the Word of God, which are the writings of the apostles. Is that right? And we believe as Christians that the Bible is our authority, that everything in Scripture is true. And if the Bible says that He did die for your sin and my sin, it must be true. That if He did come to life, it is true. And one day he will return, it is true. So for us as Christians, the Word of God is so important because as you spend time in the Word of God, listen, your faith in Jesus grows. The more you spend time in God's Word, He speaks to you and your faith in a Jesus that you haven't seen becomes true. That's what we see in the Colossians. They were Christians who had a strong conviction that everything Jesus did for them is true. And may you and I, as Christians today, continue to have a belief, a solid conviction that everything Jesus did for you and for me, it is absolutely true. Well, how do you know? Keep reading the Bible. As you read the Bible, God's Spirit confirms with your spirit that everything in Scripture is true, that you have a Father in heaven who loves you and a Lord Jesus who died for you, and one day He's coming back for you. Amen. Romans 8 says this, 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see that? So when you read the Word of God, God's Spirit testifies in your spirit that you have a Father in heaven, that you have a Lord who died for you, It is true. That's the reason why I keep saying Sunday is very important. You come here, not because I'm looking for a crowd. Listen carefully, I'm not looking for a crowd. Okay, you come here, you know why? Because you sit under the teaching of God's word as you submit to scripture and God speaks to you. And as God speaks to you, you grow in your faith for Jesus. Sunday is very, very important. Okay, here's another reason why you should be in your word daily, because God speaks to you when you set time aside to read scripture daily. Don't make this the only time in a week that you are under scripture. Make it a habit, a discipline that every day we are students of the word of God. We are reading scripture, and as we read, trust that God will speak to us and confirm to our faith in a God that we don't see. Amen? That's why connect groups, we gather in connect groups to do what? To open up scripture to pray for one another, to engage with Scripture. I believe that's so crucial if we want to have a strong faith in a Jesus that we do not see. 
Augustine, I quote him, he says this, Faith is to believe in what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. You see that? So as growing Christians, as maturing Christians at Sun Life Church, let's continue to be a community that we love the Word of God, that we are reading God's Word, we are studying God's Word, we are meditating upon God's Word, and as we do that, may our faith in Jesus grow stronger and stronger, and the reality of Jesus becomes greater and greater. Amen? That's the first thing. The second thing that these Colossians were doing very, very well, I love for others. Look in verse 4b. And of the love that you have for all the saints. You notice that? Saints in Scripture means people set apart for God's purpose. We are saints. We are saints because God has set us apart so that we live for His glory. So when we see saints in the Bible, it means Christians, followers, people of God. So the next time you call me Pastor Bin, I don't like it, call me Saint Bin, all right? I'll call you Saint whatever, you call me Saint Bin. Is that okay? We're all saints. Now, look in the text. What do you notice about the text? They had a love for what? Some saints? The holy saints? The, the attractive saints? All the saints. What was so impressive about these Christians here, right, was that their love was not selective. Sometimes it's much easier to love people who are similar to us. Is that right? Same ethnicity. Same common interests. Oh, you love Jurian? I love Jurian. You love Jurian? Yeah, the Muslim king. Oh, let's be friends. Very easy. Same season of life. Oh, you're pregnant? I'm pregnant. Oh, first child? Oh, me too. Let's be friends. Very, very easy. Same footy club. Dockers fan? Yes, Georgia. Thank you. One, one friend. The honest truth is that in a church context, like this church here, um, there'll be certain people that we get along with very, very well. And that's because there's a common interest. And that's just a human psyche. We understand that. But what is remarkable about these Colossians was that their love was not selective. All-inclusive. And you want to know how they did it? I'll tell you how. Go to verse 8. Paul says, you know, your pastor Epaphras had made known to us of what? Your love in the Spirit. I really believe that when you have the power of God's Spirit to love people unconditionally, it is a supernatural thing. Therefore, it has to be a spiritual thing. You must have the love of God in you. It must be the Holy Spirit working in you to love people who are different to you. And when you love people, let me say this, when you love people and you embrace people, there's always a chance of getting hurt. That's the reality. You open up your heart, you open up your family, your life, and there's always a chance to get hurt. But let me say this, in my experience over the years of pastoring is that the risk of getting hurt will never outweigh the joy found in Christian love. Never. It is worth it. It is worth it, my friend. You keep praying and you ask God's Spirit to help you, to strike that conversation with the person that is maybe sitting next to you that you've never met before. There's so many new faces here in this church here. You can talk to them. You can ask them out for lunch. And if you're single, and if they're single, this could be the moment you've been waiting for. <laughs> hey, did you hear what Pastor Bin said? <laughs> How about we grab lunch afterwards? <laughs> My shout, noble Japanese at the crown. <laughs> that, could be, that could be prophetic right there. Someone grab that, take that, use that. God bless you. <laughs> you know, one of the most powerful witnesses that Jesus is alive in us and that we are growing in the ways of Jesus is how we love each other unconditionally. 
that is not selective. Because Jesus once said this in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple, that you follow me. You know, my prayer is that in a church like this, we got to love people who are very different to us. But that can only be a supernatural thing through the power of God's Spirit. Amen. And the Colossians did that so well. And Paul, he was thanking, he was thanking God for them. Here's the third thing. They were people who had a hope in eternity, a hope in heaven. Look in verses 5 onwards. Because of the hope laid up for you where? In heaven. Verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow saint. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying that these people here, you are so good because your hope is not on this earth but in heaven. Do you know why some people, maybe you've met some people, they're always calm in the storms of life? Have you met those type of Christians? Like, they're never disturbed. They're always stable. They're always content. They're non-anxious, right? No matter what storms they're in, right? It could be health issues. It could be uncertainties with their business or finance. Whatever storm, they're so Calm. Have you met those type of Christians before? I believe those Christians do not put their hope on this earth. I don't. I believe those Christians put their hope in heaven, and that becomes the anchor to calm them in the storms of life. Because Jesus did once say, what, store your treasures where? Not on earth. Right? Store on earth the, the moths and the vermins and the thieves. They'll grab hold of it. Store it somewhere that they cannot touch in heaven. And what Jesus is saying is this, is that if you learn to store your hope in Him, put Him first, think about Him, your future is in His hands, everything about Him, He did say this, seek Him first, His righteousness, and what? All things will be given to you. Is that right? All things will be given to you if you learn to put your hope in Him. And not only the all things will be given to you, He gives you an anchor to keep you calm when those seasons gets a bit stormy. This is what we see in the Colossians. And my prayer for us as a church is that you and I, we keep our hope in heaven. We put our hope in Jesus, not in this world here. And as you do that, I guarantee you, He will bless you. He will give you all the desires of your heart and you will have something which will keep you calm whatever storm, whatever waves comes your way. You'll be that non-anxious, that content, that calm followers of Jesus. And I believe those type of Christians, you need to find them, you need to spend time with them and ask them and let them help you because every one of us need a non-anxious believer beside us, especially in this day and age. Amen. And that's what we see in the Colossians. So three things that Paul, he was thanking God, he was praying to God. But now as we look from verse 9 onwards, he begins to say, this is the content, what he's actually praying for them. You know? Can I just side, side note and just say this? Sometimes you know, when you meet Christians who are so mature and they're doing so well, there's a tendency not to pray for them. Like we kind of look for the, the struggling Christians and we pray for the struggling Christians. Oh, you know, you're struggling? Oh, let me pray with you. These Colossians, they were doing a lot of good things. And Paul was praying for them. There are Christians here who are doing well. They still need prayer. Yeah? Pray for them. Encourage them. Yeah? We all need prayer. Amen? And so now we begin to see the what of Paul's prayer. Look in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul is praying for them regularly, daily, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what does the text say? He says, look, I'm praying for you regularly, every day, right? Now, isn't it true, listen carefully, isn't it true that whatever features the most in our prayer 
is important to us. Is that right? So for Paul, this is very important. He's praying for them all the time. I never cease. I never stop praying for this particular thing. Do you know what it is? Look at the text. It is the will of God. You see that? Verse 9, the will of God. Do you want to know what is God's will for you? Let me tell you right now. If you ever want to know what is God's will for you, go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Here it is. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That's the will of God. Sometimes when we think of God's will, it's like, who am I going to marry? Do I take this business opportunity? Yeah, I get it. But you really want to know God's will for you and for me? Verse 10, it is to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him. Walk is an interesting word, all right? Do you know that by the way someone walks, you can tell their personality? Do you know that? I was in Singapore a few months ago. Uh, I could be wrong, but the Singaporeans, they walk a bit faster than us Aussies. I don't know, but do you notice that? The escalator's a bit faster as well. In Singapore, it's like, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm usually like a couple meters behind, and I'm trying to pick up my pace. And when you see someone walk that fast, the, 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 the personalities could be there probably, what, they've got a lot of things to do. Is that right? It could be. Oh, they've got to catch the MRT. They've got to go to the next meeting. They've got to get to, to the line to get that chicken rice. I don't know. They, they go very, very fast. All right? And you read the gospel, and you see Jesus... It seems like Jesus was never hurried. Uh, my picture of Jesus is that when he's in the marketplace, he's probably not rushing. He's just taking his time. And so you might have certain friends who, when, when you walk with them, they're always a couple of meters behind you, and it seems like they're just enjoying life. They don't really care if there's a bus coming their work, because they'll be with Jesus the next moment. <laughs> you know, they're just enjoying. And so by the way you walk, it describes your personality. And so Paul says, walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. And he begins to outline four things that he's praying for the Colossians to help them walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Are you ready for those four things? Number one, bearing fruit in service. Look in verse 10. See? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Firstly, Bearing fruit in every good work. Can you see that? We, we know that a, 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 a fruit tree is healthy because it bears good fruit. We know that. And that's the same with Christianity. Healthy Christians bear good fruit of service. The way you love, the way you treat, the way you serve one another is very important to God. Very important to God. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully. This is no way me implying that God loves you more because you are serving more. No. This is no way me saying is that you are saved by what you do. God's love for you and for me is unconditional. Our salvation is not by our works. It's by the work of His Son. It is a free gift of God. We are saved by grace through faith. Is that right? We got that right? We're clear? So faith alone saves Amen? Amen. Amen. The faith that saves is never alone. Amen? Amen. Because if you truly know your salvation, your life will be one of good works. That's just how it works. I'll show it to you in the text. James chapter 2, verses 14, 17, and 18. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. See what James is doing right there? Verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is alive? No, dead. Verse 18. But someone will say, I have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see that? The late Tim Keller, who passed away this year, he, I, re, I remember one of his quotes. He said something along the lines of, serving Christians are maturing Christians. So remember this, friends. When you are giving up something in order to serve someone, you're growing in Christ. When you're willing to give your time, 
to serve someone with your good fruit, you're being more like Jesus. That's why it's Life Church. I always say this, find your purpose. Find the way God has created you. Now make a difference with me. If your purpose is to love the poor, go and serve the homeless on Mondays with the Agape Project. If your purpose is to care for the teenagers, the youth, our future, go and serve the youth ministry. If your purpose is to look after, you know, mums with newborn and you've done life and you understand, you spend time with them. As we serve one another, the good works in us is an indication that we are growing in the ways of the Lord. Oh, but Pastor Ben, you don't get it. I, I used to serve, I used to do it, and I got nothing out of it. They complain. Oh, my goodness, it was a headache. Oh, you know, I was so disappointed. I was so hurt. That's an opportunity to grow in your patience, to grow in your forgiveness, to grow in your grace, to grow in your endurance, to grow as being a work, the follower of Jesus. That's why we do it. And so my encouragement is do not let those past setbacks stop you from bearing good fruit. Amen? Amen. Number two, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the second thing. Paul prays for them. Look carefully. Verse 10 at the very end. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, if you want to know that new person next to you this morning... There's a new person sitting next to you. What must you do? I would imagine what? You spend time with them. Is that right? To get to know them. Now, for the married couples, for those who are married, uh, isn't it true that your spouse, I could be wrong, but I'm not wrong, your spouse would know your thoughts before you even say a word? Is that right? I could tell my wife, Tran, we've been married for over 21 years, I can tell Tran if she's having a bad day or a good day after work. I can tell. I'll come home from work and I look at Trent, just by the way she chops the veggies <laughs> and the way she stir fries it, I can tell. I just walk away. <laughs> if the frequency is a bit too fast, too much frequency, too much pressure, I just walk away. I just know. She doesn't have to say it. But why is that? It's because of many years of doing life together, spending time together. Wouldn't that be the same with God? If you want to know God more, the knowledge of God, I would imagine you want to spend more time with God. Is that right? Spend more time with God. Not just the weekly fellowship here, not just once on a Sunday, but try daily. Find time to speak to Him, read His Word, just enjoy His presence. As you're driving, as you're taking a walk in the park, just enjoy creation and spend time with God. And the more you spend time with God, you're going to find out about God. Because remember, it's not knowledge about God. No, 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 no. no. It's actually knowing God. You're knowing God intimately. And as you begin to know God, you're going to find His desires for you. Yeah? You're going to find out His will for you because you're knowing Him. Let me read you a quote from E.D. Martin. He says this, to receive the gospel is to know God. To know God is to do His will. To do His will is to know more and more of God. How wonderful is that? As you begin to know God, because you're spending a time with God, you begin to see what God wants of you, and hopefully you're changing your behavior so that's in line with God's will for you. Yeah? And as you begin to change the way you do things and you're more obedient to God, guess what? He reveals himself to you even more. Yeah? The maturing Christian is the one who knows God more because they spend time with God. God tells them certain things. They're doing it. They're submitting to God's will. They're being transformed by the Spirit of God. God reveals himself more. And it's just this cycle. And that's why you have maturing Christians and non-maturing Christians. Because the Christians who are not maturing are those who are not really knowing God. And we need to spend time with God. 
as God begins to reveal His will for us and we're willing to be obedient, He reveals Himself even more. And there's more and more. It's not rocket science. The formula has not changed from the very get-go. You want to know someone? Spend time with them. You want to know God? Spend time with God. Not just on a Sunday setting, but every day. Put Him at the center of your life, and I guarantee you, you will know God more. Number three, persevering by God's power. Look in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience. You know, there was a funny story of a little boy, a little boy. He went over to his pastor's house just to watch his pastor do some woodwork. Right? And the boy simply stood there and he watched his pastor for quite a long time. And the pastor finally stopped and he asked the boy, Hey son, are you trying to pick up some pointers in how to build something? And the boy replied, No. I'm just waiting to hear what a pastor says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> See, often, often we find what we're really made of when we face those road bumps in life. Sometimes it's easy just to give up on that person and walk away. Sometimes it's just easy to go, that's it, I'm going to start over that relationship again. Start over again. Sometimes it's like three strikes, I'm leaving you. But I believe here that these Colossians, they endured there's a patience because of the Spirit of God. There's a power that God gives us so that we don't give up on one another. That we don't give up on the person that we've been trying to pray for that we don't give up on our family, that we don't give up on our loved ones, that we don't give up praying for our children, we don't give up on that ministry, we don't give up on the body of Christ, we don't give up on Jesus. We keep enduring. We keep praying and we keep trusting God that God will give us the power to overcome those moments where the easy option is to just to walk away. See, the Bible clearly says this, that there's a power of God in us. For example, go with me to Ephesians 1. It says, His incomparable great power for us who believe. See? The power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead. Or how about 2 Corinthians 12? My grace, this is Jesus saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon you know, when life gets a bit hard, and maybe for some of you it's very, very hard right now, maybe God is asking you to tap into His power so that you endure, that there's more patience for that individual, that you don't give up on them, that you keep loving them. In the Bible, we think of, remember Joseph, who, if you remember in the book of Genesis, was what? Beaten up, sold to slavery by his brothers? He didn't give up. And look what God did with Joseph. Or how about Naomi and Ruth? Remember when they came back from Moab to Bethlehem and they had nothing? They kept enduring. Or how about the Apostle Paul? We know the Apostle Paul. His life was one of suffering. He was shipwrecked. He was beat. He was just you know, down the pits, but he didn't give up. And I believe for some of you here, that's a word for some of you. Don't, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Keep enduring. Keep having patience for that individual. Keep praying for them. Don't give up. Do not lose heart. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart. Though our outer is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Wow. He says, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep enduring. Keep having more patience. Don't look at the things that are seen. Don't look at your situation. Look at the things that are unseen. Look at what God is doing behind the scene. Look and tap into His power and endure and have more patience. 
And we see that in the Colossians. And I hope that you and I also have that as we follow Jesus. Amen. And lastly, the fourth thing here is joyfully thanking God. Look in verses 12. With joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And verse 14, the last verse, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. You know what Paul is doing? Paul is reminding them what God has done for them. You look at those verbs, qualified them to share in the inheritance, delivered them from the kingdom of darkness, rescued them from their sins. They're all verbs, right? Qualify, deliver, rescue, that speaks of privileges that they do not deserve. That's true, hey? Can you remember the last time you received something you did not deserve? Did anyone, did anyone here were given free tickets to Coldplay? Hands up. Anyone here? Hands up if you were given free tickets to watch Coldplay later in the year. Anyone? No one. Guess what? Guess what? Me neither. <laughs> but if I, if I were given free tickets to Coldplay, what, 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 do you think my, what do you think my attitude would be? Thanksgiving. Gratitude. Yeah, is that right? And that's what Paul is doing. He's reminding the Colossians that they do not deserve salvation. It's all the kindness of God. God in His grace saved them. They did not deserve it. And that same God saved you and me. And in light of that, I believe that our lives should be one of what? Thankfulness. We should be what? Cheerful people. Joyful people. And no matter what season we're in, no matter how tough things get, there's always a reason to be thankful. Is that right? Let me read you something from Matthew Henry, a famous Bible teacher. He wrote this in his journal the day after he was robbed by some thieves. And I read him, he says this, Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. How good is that? That was the first time he was robbed. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Oh, wow. That's a good reason to be thankful. Third, because although they took everything, it was not much. He didn't have a lot of money in his purse. Wow, he's thankful. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. <laughs> How great is that? There is always a reason to be thankful. If life gets really, really difficult, and right now for some of you, life is difficult, and you're like, there's no way I can be thankful right now. Remember this. Listen carefully. In 100 years from now, 100 years from now, whatever you are facing today will not be there. Your worries today will not be there in 100 years' time. Your investments, it won't be there. Your health concerns, it won't be there. Your status, it won't be there. Your money, your wealth, it won't be there. What really matters in a hundred years from now is this, are you saved? That really matters. And if you are saved, if you know that in a hundred years from now you are saved, that is a good reason to be thankful. That is a good reason to really say, God, I don't like my situation, but I still choose to be thankful for the fact that you saved me when I do not deserve salvation. You gave up your son for me. I am saved by your grace. For that reason, I can still sing hallelujah. I can still thank you. You are worthy. That's a good reason to be joyful. And that's what Paul did. He reminded the Colossians, you've been saved. You've been taken out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. You have been rescued from your sin, which we know is a ticket to hell. You, wow, have been given an inheritance which lasts forever and ever. Be thankful. So friends, whatever situation you're in right now, and you feel there's no hope, 
you feel this doesn't look good, let me just say this. In a hundred years' time, it won't be there. Will you be with Jesus? And if the answer is yes, you can still be thankful. Like Matthew Henry, you can find a reason to be thankful. Those four things, he prayed for them. There are seven points this morning. Maybe you've picked one or two that God spoke to you. Live it out this week. Share it to someone. Don't just go, that's great teaching. No, share it to someone. The person you're meeting afterwards at Nubu Japanese restaurant, share with them. Your children, share it with them. Live it out this week. There's so much, and I just hope and pray that God spoke to you. And next week, we continue on the second half of chapter one. So my encouragement is to what? Read it up, come back here, and let God speak to you. Amen. Let me pray for us, and we're going to remember our Lord Jesus Christ through communion. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that your word is so good. It is living. It is the truth. I pray, God, whatever we learned today as a community, you would speak to us. So, Lord, as we remember you now in this time of communion, God, help us to slow down and just be grateful, be thankful for the death of your son, our Lord Jesus, on that cross for us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite Simon to lead us into a time of communion. Amen. Praise God. Let's thank Pastor Ben for, uh, for challenging us uh, for, with a wonderful word this morning. Okay. Let's prepare our hearts as we um, take the uh, Holy Communion. We've got the ushers. Fantastic. In Sun Life, we, we have an open uh, communion. That means we encourage everyone, everyone who loves Jesus, to partake. Of course, if you, you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. Just let the, let the cups, um, let the communion tray uh, pass by and pass it to the person next to you. I want to read uh, Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I've shared this, uh, I've shared this theme before, but I, I, I'm sure we all, we all agree that to the extent that we would be uh, willing to sacrifice for someone else would be determined by our relationship with that person, would be determined by the, how much we, we love that person. You know, as parents, I'm sure that uh, many of us have made um, uh, many sacrifices, maybe small sacrifices, maybe bigger sacrifices. I know, I'm sure uh, there, there are some uh, mums here who have sacrificed or put their career uh, on hold for the sake of their children. I'm, I'm sure many of us can reflect on our own parents, on the sacrifices that, that they have made. I'm sure they probably made greater sacrifices than you have. I know my... Um, I know my, uh, you know, I think of my, my uh, it's, it's a common story in our family where my grandmother has, you know, had to sell everything she had, including her, her wedding ring. Um, having been a widow at, in her late 20s, she gave up everything in order for my, my dad and, and his brothers, his brother and his sister to have an education. Then all these things, all these sacrifices that uh, we make, you know, within our families, our parents, they pale into insignificance. They pale, they pale in significance when compared to the sacrifice that Jesus, the Son of God, has made for us. You know, Jesus, who was the firstborn, later we will read in Colossians in chapter 1, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. 
He was seated at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of God. And yet he stepped down from his throne, allowed himself to be born in a, a very a, a modest family, a family in modest circumstances. And that sacrifice was an amazing expression of his love. And of course, during the time he was here on earth, he lived a life of love, love and compassion for all the people around him, especially those who are uh, uh, you know, facing the greatest challenges, the poor, the sick, and the oppressed. But of course, it, we know that it didn't end there. You know, he went out of his way to, to, to endure the death of the worst criminal so that we could truly have a relationship with him, the deepest relationship. That's how, that's how Jesus showed how much he loved us, by stepping down from the highest position in the universe, being born into a very humble circumstances, making himself nothing, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, and dying the death of the worst criminal. That's why the Bible talks about how wide, how long, how uh, high, deep is the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. You know, to be, for us to be able to grasp how great uh, this love is, we will need to know how great the Son of God is, the fact that He's seated at the right hand of God, and the fact that He was able to sacrifice all that and give that up in order and undergo an incredible suffering in order for us to have a deep relationship with Him. And that's the extent of His love for us. As we take our communion this morning, let's, let's reflect on the profound love that was shown to us. And let's also respond to this. And I, I'm really grateful for, for the sermon this morning um, that where Pastor Ben has challenged us to live a life that is worthy. Life is worthy of Jesus. Let's reflect and ask ourselves, how can we? How can we live a life that's worthy of the love of Jesus? the love that was poured out for us. Let's be willing to, to pray David's prayer in Psalms 139, which says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we enter into, into a time of worship, once again, let's allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and see if, if, we are, if our hearts are right before Him. Are we living a life that's worthy of God? Worthy of the love of Jesus? Are we, are we doing the things that we were challenged this morning? Are we bearing fruit in our service? Are we persevering, knowing uh, in, in the various areas that in our walk with God that we need to persevere in? Are we making the effort to know God's will? Are we being joyful? Are we thanking? Are we thankful towards God? As we enter into a time of worship, once again, let's, um, let's reflect on God's love. Let's be challenged and ask God to search our hearts, how we can respond to God's love and be worthy of Him. Church, why don't you rise and let's just spend some time in worship.
give you thanks that you are God of incredible love in fact that's the only reason why we can stand before you right now and sing and worship you is because you because of your great love your profound love the how high how deep how wide how great is the love of God that's shown uh, in us through Christ and through his death on the cross therefore we come before you with worshipful hearts to honor you and to remember you Indeed, remember the life of Jesus who came down and lived a life of love. Incredible model for everyone to follow. Yet you did something even greater by paying the ultimate price so that our sins can be forgiven and be found. And we can draw, we can draw near to you. And once we were far from you, but now we can draw near to you and come close to this holy God. Therefore, we give you thanks and praise, and we honor you and worship you this morning. We remember you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's take the bread, the biscuit in our hand. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of this bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink this cup. It's a symbol of God's love for us in Christ. 